All right, welcome back, Grace Point. Anyone else that's listening? Father, open our hearts and minds to the gospel, to the word of God. Lord, grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Help us, Lord. Give us understanding. And Lord, as I preach, flow through me, revelatory, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we ended. We were talking about Christ as a body and not wounding our brother. And even then we ended, we touched on authority again. The purpose of real authority is to build up, not to tear down. So if you're in authority in any position, if you're in authority at your company, I promise you your company does not want you to tear down. They want you to use your authority to build up that company. And that's what God wants too in every situation. Sometimes you got to bring correction, but you do it to be helpful, not to let off anger and steam, okay? So we'll pick up there, um, and I'm going to go um, read right at the end of chapter 9. It's verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one beating the air, but I discipline my body, I bring it into subjection, lest after I preach to others, I would not be disqualified. So Paul is telling them he's running to win. Right above that he says, I'm free from all men, but I made myself a slave to everybody. Why does he do that? Now, this is the love of God. Again, this is what Paul is urging them to. The wisdom of God is the love of God. It's found at the cross. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I may win the more, to the Jew a Jew, to those without the law without the law. He says, I do this so that by all means I might win some. I do this for the gospel's sake so I can be a partaker of the gospel. So Paul was saying, everything I'm doing, I'm doing it for the gospel. I'm doing it for Jesus' sake. I'm not bringing discipline out of my own ego or my own desire uh, to be in charge. I'm doing it to build up the body. I made myself the slave of all men. I bring my body under. But then in chapter 10, then, he gives them a warning that God is a judge. And I, I'm going to tell I don't want to, again, I can't read every verse, but he says that um, the things that were written in the Old Testament, they were written for our admonition. Let me just pick up in verse 6. Um, now, these things become our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted, nor should we become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them did. And they were tempted uh, and destroyed by serpents, nor complain, get that, complain as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon the, whom the end of the worlds have come. And he tells them there's no temptation that they can't escape. 
See, Paul's warning them that these sins bring judgment. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. As a member of the body of Christ, remember that guy in chapter 5, they turned him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh. What sin was he committing? Sexual immorality. Well, in the Old Testament, when they rose up to play, they rose up to commit fornication, and they were committing idolatry. God sent snakes among them, right? They were judged for it. So Paul was warning them. He said, there's no temptation but what is common to man, but God will always give you a way of escape. He says, take it. He's given them a warning that they can bring judgment on themselves through their sin, and it's obvious. Some people, um, they, you know, they say that it's not God that brings the judgment, but it's the sin itself because you open the door to the devil, you know. So the idea is there God allows it. You open the door, right? God allows it, lifts his hand because you've chosen sin. You've opened the door to the devil. So he says, yeah, you need to repent. Don't give in to it. But if you do, you need to repent and close that door because you've opened yourself up to attack. So he tells them to flee from sin. And then he gives them the, listen to this. This is really good. He says, therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, I speak to you as wise men, judge for yourself the cup of blessing, communion, which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though we are many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Now, I want you to catch this in chapter 8 because we're going to come back to this in chapter uh, 11. In chapter, uh, chapter uh, 10, rather, I want you to take note of this in chapter 10. In chapter 8, Paul said that when you sin against uh, one person in the body, you sin against Christ because they're a member of the body. Here in chapter 10, he says, For we are many, we are one bread, and we are one body. He's talking about communion, isn't he? And when he's talking about communion, right in the middle of it, he makes reference to the fact that the communion bread is symbolic of one body. And this is the point I make all the time that he's, when he says Christ, he's not just talking about Jesus. Jesus is the head of a body, and that body is the body of Christ. Jesus is Lord. There's only one Jesus, but we're all members of him. That's why he said, when you sin against one another, you sin against Christ. He says, when you take communion, there's a picture given to you by the bread of one body. It wasn't like communion when we take it. They didn't have these little wafers when they did communion. They had a loaf of bread. I know on the Emmaus walk, Brian, I think you did that. On the Emmaus walk, they took that bread and they dipped it right into the grapefruit juice, the juice. They dipped it, you pulled it off, and then you dipped it in the, the wine or the grapefruit juice. But we all partook of one loaf. Why? Because there's one body. Really important for you to get that now because I'm setting something up for chapter 11 that you have to see. He said it in chapter 8. He says it again. 
He tells them in chapter 9, they need to be careful how they treat one another, all the way through, in chapter 7, how they treat their virgins. You know, all the way through this, he's talking about how they treat one another, and he's telling them why, because they're one body. And he's warning them um, not to make the Lord jealous. Now, again, I'm just going to tap this briefly, and we'll go into... Chapter 11, we'll be prepared to go into chapter 11 pretty powerfully, but he says, uh, all things are lawful for me, verse 23, but not all things are helpful, not all things edify. Listen to Paul's theology. Listen to the mind of Christ. Listen to the wisdom of God. Let no one seek his own, but each the other's well-being. We're one body. Christ. So we should not be seeking our own, but seeking the well-being of our brother and sister. This is Paul's mentality. Eat whatever's in the market. Ask no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says, if anyone who does not believe invites you to eat dinner, go with them. Don't ask any questions. But if they said this was offered to idols, don't eat it because of their conscience, not yours. He says, uh, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Therefore, I love this. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I please men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Do you see Paul's wisdom, Paul's theology, Paul's understanding of Christ? He says, everything I'm doing, I'm doing it so they might be saved. He said, I'm not pleasing myself, but I'm pleasing Christ. It would be impossible to have a church split or a division, any such thing, if everybody in the church was seeking to please one another, edify, except you know, except when things violate your conscience, as we talked about, what a mentality, understanding. Flip over and I'll end here on this thought. You've got to get this thought because this is central to the whole letter that Paul writes. Remember in chapter 6, he says, why not rather be sued? Why not rather, you know, give in, let the other person have their way rather than sue your brother? Like, wh- why would you do that? In chapter... Um, Two of the book of Philippians. I love how Paul talks about Timothy. Chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, and not the things which are Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven character. As a son with his father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope to send him soon, so 
I see how it will go with me, but I trust in the Lord that I myself also may come shortly. So he's saying, Timothy has my heart and my mind. He cares about you guys. He cares about your welfare and not just his own. And I'm going to send him to you. That's the mind of Christ, doing things for your brother or sister. That really is the nature of agape love. And Paul's going to hit on that hard in chapter 13. See how this letter is all a unity? You're going to see it. It's all a unity, one big unity. All right, we'll pick up there next week.